0: 2 Timothy, we're going to finally start chapter 3, and I'm going to give you, this is going to be part 1 of warnings of perilous times, Uh, this uh, section really goes down through uh, verse 4, but we're only going to look at verses 1 and 2 this morning. 2nd uh, Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 and like Charlie Minkler pointed out I really don't even have to use my Bible here this morning I could have just grabbed a keen sentinel and preached uh, from the keen sentinel this morning because that's what that's what we're talking about uh, let's read our passage 2nd Timothy 3 verse 1 goes like this this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves covetous boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Let's have a word of prayer before we get talking about this. Lord, we do thank you for the day that you've given to us today. We thank you for your word, which is just as timely today as it was in the days when Paul was writing this down. We ask that you'll guide us through it by the power of your Holy Spirit, show us what you'd have for us to do. It's in your name we pray, amen. So as I say, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, really verses 1 through 5, Paul gives a warning to Timothy Of the deteriorating social conditions that can be expected in the days to come. Remember, this is this is not Paul writing to you and me, this is Paul writing to Timothy. Now, even in Timothy's day, these conditions that he's about to describe were already present. I mean, there there were people who were lovers of their own selves, there were people who were covetous in the Roman days. uh, And they were even, some of them were even having an impact on Timothy's ministry. But Paul's not just going to describe what those conditions will look like. He's going to give Timothy some instructions on how he ought to act in response to them. And that's really, uh, that makes it practical, right? I mean, we can all talk about, yeah, the world's going to get worse and worse. The world's going to get worse and worse. But unless we act upon that, what do we do in light of that? It's not very practical, is it? Uh, And we'll see that as we get to verses 6 through 9. That's where... Paul gets to the nuts and bolts of, here's what I want you to do in light of all this. It's going to be depressing for the next couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, when you get to verses 6 to 9, that's when Paul links the social deterioration with the doctrines of the false teachers and how Timothy needs to counteract that. And that'll, that's where it's very practical today, because we see the same sort of attitudes in the world today. Uh, so the warnings that we're going to look at today and next week are not just for the future. They're for Timothy right now, and they're for you and I right now. They're for our future, and they're for our present, just like they were for Timothy. Do you realize how timely God's Word is? I hope you realize that. So as we look at this section, where Paul's about to describe what to look forward to in the days to come, I can't help but think about what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 56. How is it that you can't discern the time. Jesus said to these people, can't you open your eyes? Can't, don't you realize what's going on? Now, at that time, Jesus was rebuking his hearers for not understanding the times that they were living in. In later on, Acts chapter 1, verse 7, when the disciples tried to nail him down on, hey, when are the end times going to come? Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and the dates that the father has set by his own authority. See, it's never easy for you and I as Christians to strike the right balance between the here and now, what do I have to do today and what I have to be looking forward to in the future. It's never easy for us to do that, is it? I mean, it's easy for me to focus on well, here's what we we can see things coming But what am I going to do in light of that today? We have to strike that balance, but it's never easy. To ignore either one is disastrous. To ignore what I should be doing today, I'm missing the opportunities God's putting in front of me. But to ignore what's coming down the road is to be an idiot. You're naive, and you're going to get blindsided by stuff. You need to have a balance of both. Uh, But to be obsessed by either one is just as bad. So for the next couple of weeks, Paul's going to tell Timothy what some of the signs are that he can see in the present that tell him that he's moving toward the future. They're going to be more and more prevalent. All these things that we're talking about here are going to get more and more prevalent as time goes by, and we're going to see instructions later on, verses 6 to 9, on how Timothy ought to respond to them. So with all that for an introduction, let's get started. Verse 1... This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. This verse opens right up with the word know. Know this, gnoske. Uh, This is the only time in the whole New Testament that this exact form of this word is used. We've seen gnosko, we've seen uh, other forms of this word, but this is the only time in the whole New Testament that Ganoske is used. Uh, Outside of the Bible, the form of this word is the one that Socrates used in his famous know-thyself statement. That's how Socrates used it. But Paul's not talking about self-knowledge here. He's talking about knowing the social and uh, moral conditions that we see in the world around us. Know them intimately. Just like Socrates said, know thyself, know yourself intimately. Know every aspect of your being. That's what Socrates was saying. Paul's saying the same thing because he's using the same word. Understand the social moral conditions that are around us and that manifest themselves in human behaviors. Why do people in this world around us act the way they do? Because they're corrupt morally. And this is good advice for anybody. Uh, who's looking to share the gospel with the world around them, right? People, aren't, people are rotten because they're rotten inside. It's, we don't need to be angry at the person for being, wow, I can't stand them because they're rotten. They're rotten because they can't help it. So when we're sharing the gospel, we need to examine, we need to understand the conditions in the world that we find ourselves in another interesting phrase that's used in this verse is last days in the last days well what what are those days paul what are you talking about now as i've already said we're not just talking here of the future the the end of days we're not talking about that necessarily when things are going to worsen even more like if you want that look to matthew chapter 24 uh... brother fisher's going to get there in a while Uh, read Matthew 24 verses 21 to 31 that's not necessarily what we're talking about it could be true but the fact is Paul is talking in present times to Timothy I've said it before I'm going to say it again if Paul lived like it was the last days 2,000 years ago we're a good deal closer now aren't we that's just good common sense we're surely closer to the last days now. Even today, we can see some of these negative behaviors uh, in people's characters, can't you? I I read you verse 2. We see people who are lovers of their own selves. We see people who are covetous. We see people who are boasters. We see these activities around us. Are we in the last days? No, we're getting closer. We're certainly closer than Paul was. Now, we've seen this kind of end times language from Paul already back in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Let's look back to that just quickly. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1, he says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And he goes on to describe it. I'm going to, for time's sake, I'm going to give you a list of a bunch of references here too. You see this kind of language in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We see it in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. 2 Peter 3, 3. 1 John two eighteen. You can see these kind of last times. Watch out. In the last times, you're going to see this sort of thing happening. So what we're about to look at is conditions as they will be in the last days in the end times, but we can already see them manifesting themselves to some degree today. These will be perilous times, Paul says, because the last days will be exaggerations of the base and brazen qualities that people already have in their lives today. The wickedness that we see in people's lives today will get more and more exaggerated as time goes on. So that brings us to what are these qualities that we're talking about? Verse 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. And that's where I'm going to break it off right there. So from verse 2 to verse 5, Paul describes 19 different qualities that are going to show up in the average worldly person to one degree or another. And it's these evil character qualities which are going to be the indicator to you and me that perilous times are at hand. Because I see these activities going on in people's lives, I know that perilous times, I'm in dangerous waters here. Now, we're only going to look at the first eight today for time purposes. We're going to look at the rest next time. But this listing is very similar to listings that you're going to find elsewhere. I'm going to give you another list of places. Look to First Timothy chapter one verses eight to 11. Matthew chapter 15 verses 17 to 20. Romans chapter 1, 29 to 31. First Corinthians chapter five, nine to 11. First Peter, chapter four, verses three to four. Revelation twenty-one, verse eight. Revelation twenty-two, fifteen. In fact, if you want a little bit anybody want a little bit of Bible trivia right now? I can give you a bit of Bible trivia. All right. Here's a bit of Bible trivia for Barb. Paul gives a list of vices and virtues in every single one of his letters, except first and second Thessalonians and Philemon. Every single time Paul wrote something down, he gave a list of vices and virtues isn't that interesting this was front page on Paul's mind now here's why these lists of vices I'm gonna give you a little bit of Roman history you want a little Roman history these lists of vices and virtues were very popular in Paul's day first-century Rome this was a very popular thing to do even in secular Roman culture the people of the day were fascinated by them they used them like Ted talks on the internet today uh, they different philosophers would come up with these We should do this. Marcus Aurelius is one. Has anybody ever read the uh, meditations of Marcus Aurelius? You ought to. It's very interesting. Uh, But don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that Paul is borrowing from popular philosophy of the day. Rather, what I'm saying is this kind of language would have had quite an appeal in Paul's day. Do you see what he's doing by using it? He's got an appeal to popular culture, understanding the times that he's in not unlike how we ought to be when we're sharing the gospel right understand the times that we're in now timothy knows that perilous times are coming and he can watch out for these characteristics of the people who make these times so perilous so let's look at the first eight of these one by one by the way before we get looking at this list let's read the whole list right now Uh, verse two For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Did you notice how that list both began and ended? Verse 2, it began with misdirected love. And in verse 4, it ends with misdirected love. Paul's got end caps on this. Keep your love focused in the right direction. And you will avoid all this list. First off, they're lovers of their own selves. Now let's think about that just for a minute. The gospel message allows love for God and love for others right that's really what the gospel message is all about just like Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13 verse 8 he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law Romans 13 verse 8 if you're loving your fellow man you've fulfilled the law that's what the law is all about but instead of loving others here it says we're talking about somebody whose deepest affection is on themselves these are lovers of their own selves instead of lovers of their fellow man. Now, this isn't the case with Timothy. Paul know, Paul's describing Timothy, and, Timothy, I know this isn't your problem. How do I know that? Let's go to Philippians. Here's how Paul describes uh, Timothy in Philippians. Uh, chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. He's writing, Paul writing to the Philippian church, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus, that's Timothy, shortly unto you, that I may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Timothy was not a person who was uh, stuck on self-love. He was genuinely concerned for the Philippian church. Everybody else seeks their own, not the things which are Christ. Now, when someone loves their own selves, what what have they done? When someone's loving their own selves too much, they've set up another God instead of the one true God, haven't they? And it says that they're covetous. Covetous. Now, the word for covetous here... uh, is the Greek word philagos. And this is the only place it's ever used in the New Testament. This is the only place that this word, covetous, is ever used. It literally means lover of silver. Philos, love, right? Argoros, silver. Jesus used very similar language, not the same word, when he spoke of the Pharisees loving money in Luke chapter 16, verse 14. We've seen elsewhere in Paul's writings that the lust for money is the root of all evil, right? All kinds of evil. We saw that 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Luke chapter 12, verse 15 says, Take heed and beware of covetousness. Slightly different word. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. And this is just as true today as it was in Paul's day. Don't be covetous of the things that are in this world. Don't be a lover of silver. Third one is boasters. The Greek word here is alazon. Alazon, which only shows up here and in Romans chapter 1, verse 30. If it only shows up one other place, let's take a look at it, right? Romans chapter 1, verse 30. By the way, you might want to keep your finger there because there's another word I'm going to talk about in just a second that also shows up there. Romans chapter 1, verse 30. Here's one of those lists, Barb. We're going to jump right in the middle of it. It says, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. That's the only other place this word alazon shows up. It quite literally means arrogant or audacious. Uh, Paul often Paul says boasting many other places, but the word that he uses almost everywhere else is cacheomai. Uh, cacheomai, it's a different word for boasting. Uh, and he almost always uses Kasheomai in a negative form. He, he describes it as a bad thing. In fact, the only time that he uses it in a positive sense is when he describes boasting in the Lord. See, the New Testament doesn't have anything good to say about any haughty self promotion. We hadn't ought to be self promoting. We hadn't ought to be lifting ourselves up. What should we be lifting up? What did Jesus say? If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. We had not to be lifting myself up. In fact, uh, James chapter 4 and verse 16 says, uh, But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. The fourth one, is it says proud. And you might say that's a... Uh, well, isn't that the same thing as boasting? Well, the uh, word here is very complicated and hard to say. Uh, "Huperaphanos," "Huperaphanos." It's very similar to boasting. It's also uh, used here and in Romans chapter one verse thirty. It's used three other times in the New Testament: Luke chapter one verse thirty-one, uh, James chapter four and verse six, and 1 Peter five five. But everywhere throughout the Bible that it's used, God has nothing good to say about human pride at all. You can read the Bible cover to cover. God has nothing good to say about human pride. Now, let's put it into perspective. I said I could preach this right from uh, today's Keen Sentinel. Uh, We as a nation, nation of America, have become so arrogant and boastful that we hold pride parades and we wave it as a banner, don't we? And I'm not just talking about the, uh, the pride drag race that they have down in Keene and things like that. I'm not, even, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about things like, oh, uh, right after the Boston bombing, the bomb, uh, Boston Marathon bombing, we started seeing these Boston Strong stickers showing up on people's cars and things like that. That's the same thing. The flooding in Vermont, Vermont Strong, that's proud, that's boastful, that's arrogant. What does the Bible say? If we will humble ourselves and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, then I will hear you, and then I will heal your land. And not until, God says. But I've gotten a little off topic. Pride is an abomination before God. It says blasphemers. You might recognize the Greek word that's used here. Uh, Greek word is blasphemos. Blasphemers. It's important for us to realize that this doesn't necessarily just mean language against God. It can mean any kind of abusive language. Anytime you're using any kind of abusive language at all, it's blasphemos. Whether it's against men or whether it's against God. First Timothy uh, chapter 1 verse 13 Paul describes himself as once a blasphemer a persecutor injurious he says that's how Paul used to be this world is all full of abusive language isn't it just on my way in here today I saw all kinds of uh, graffiti some of it anti-semitic uh, that I saw just on my drive right down route 9 this is blasphemous. This is the world around us. We see it every day. And then, sixth one, it says, "Disobedient to parents." And we chuckle when we read that, don't we? Well, disobedient to parents,n't? Why is that slipped right in there? It may seem kind of trivial, doesn't it? Disobedient to parents. But remember, that's not trivial. That's, that, this is the first one we've come across that's a direct violation of one of the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments, those are the ones we're supposed to pay attention to. This is the first one we've, there aren't, uh, disobedient to parents. One of the Ten Commandments is to honor one's parents. In Jesus' own example, we see that Jesus cared for his mother even while he was nailed to a Roman cross. Jesus was dying himself, and he said, John, would you mind taking care of my mother? See, absence of love and absence of familial responsibility is one of the signs of the perilous times that we're coming into, and we see it around us, don't we? Then it says, unthankful. This Greek word is uh, acharistos. Acharistos. uh, Charis is grace. When we add an A, it means without grace, right? That's literally how you could translate this word unthankful. Without grace. The only other time that it's used in the New Testament is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you want to read it, go ahead, look to uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 35. It means devoid of grace or ungrateful. Do you know anybody in the world who seems to be ungrateful? It's rampant, isn't it? It's rampant. We see it all over the place. Then it says unholy. And that's the last one we're going to look at here today. The Greek word here is Anosius, Anosius being sanctified, ah nosius, unsanctified, unholy. The only other place this shows up in the New Testament is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Let's back up to look at that. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for sinners, for unholy, and profane, for murderers of fathers murderers of mothers, for manslayers, that word unholy, anosius. You know God is holy, right? And God demands holiness, doesn't he? Be ye holy, for I the Lord, your God, am holy, he said way back in Moses' day. To be unholy is to neglect the image of God, do you realize that? God is holy we are in the image of God we ought to be holy as well to not be so is to deny the image of God we live in a world where no one's even concerned or even aware of the image of God that they bear this world doesn't realize that they're they are made in the image of God see Paul's describing these things. He's sitting here in the first century writing these things to Timothy. And he says, in the last times, it's going to be perilous times. And we're going to start seeing these kind of things happening in people's lives. And it's going to make it worse and worse. It's going to escalate. Now, were Paul and Timothy living in easy times? Remember, they're living in Nero's day. Paul's about, uh, I've told you before, I believe that hours after writing this book, Paul was executed. This is the last thing Paul did in life. He he wrote this down, set his pen down, and they cut his head off. Nero. Uh, Nero was the sort of guy who took Christians and painted them with tar, crucified them, lit them on fire to use them as street lamps. That's what he did with Christians. That was a rough time. But Paul says, Timothy, there's going to be some perilous times coming, perilous times that make Nero's persecution pale. Do you understand that? I'm going to break it off here for time purposes. We're going to look at the rest of these characteristics of these people in the last days next time. But we're going to start seeing these things become more and more common. I think the time's coming near, don't you? you mind if I pray? Lord, again, I thank you for the timeliness of your word.